really looking forward to this, uh, jumping back into our Bible overview series. And um, if you haven't been before, that's what we've been doing, a book-by-book Bible overview series. And we're about, about seven, eight books in now. We're in the book of Ruth. And um, hands up if you managed to read the foot. Oh, yeah, okay, cool. Well done. Yes. It wasn't as bad as the likes of Judges or Genesis with 50 chapters, was it? It's a bit, bit easier. Um, I have to confess that um, it's been a ridiculously busy week, and, um, and I am coming to this a little bit, um, uh, I don't want to say jaded, because I'm full up of the Lord. I've just been at another service at Christchurch Peckham. The minister there, it's his kind of farewell service, and he's been ministering there since 86, 37 years so um, what, what longevity and uh, resilience and uh, it was really good to have so many people come up and praise God for the things they've seen him do um, through, through Hugh and Helen over those 37 years. Um, so anyway, I, I did say right at the start of this series that I had originally preached this but then put it into book form and... Um, and at times, there will be weeks where it might feel a little bit more like uh, you're hearing me tell you a bedtime story. <laughs> it's probably going to feel a little bit more like that this evening. But this isn't just a bedtime story, which is make-believe. This is real. This is rooted in history. And that is the beauty of God's timeless word. It's rooted in our history because... He appreciates time. He made time. And in Jesus, he inhabited time. So uh, we're going to dive in. And again, one other apology for me. I know the last few weeks I've been saying, look, I've been building a backlog of raps. Um, <laughs> it's growing week by week. So next, I'm going to make an album this week. Um, and uh, yeah, next week it's going to be Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and, uh, and Ruth. Um, it's going to be a feat, yeah. You might not all come next week now. Right, uh, so Ruth, if you want to grab your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to dive in. Have we got any film fans in here? Yeah, good, good, yeah, nice. Has anybody just completely off-piste here? Has anybody been onto the rooftop cinema uh, on the Bussy building? Yeah, I went for the first time the other night to watch Barbie. <laughs> But it was worth it, honestly, if you get the opportunity. I mean, it's, it's not cheap, but it is worth it. And you see all the, the lights of, of London. A bit more specific, are any of you romantic film fans? Okay. Haven't got any blokes put their hand up then. Just... Brian, your hand didn't go up. It went up the first time, but not then. <laughs> well, Ruth, the book of Ruth, would make a romantic a great romantic blockbuster. It is a real tearjerker. And it's got all the ingredients. It's got a matchmaking mother-in-law who loves to get involved, the innocent beauty who blushes but is up front, the Mr. Darcy who holds his beauty in his heart with whom he has a firm resolve to protect. There is romance, there are sparks flying, there's a night spent together under the stars. And yet, friends, with all this tension, there is absolute purity and integrity. The book of Ruth, it would be rated U if it were a film. Universal. Your kids can watch this on their own. There's nothing inappropriate here at all. And the reason I begin by making that point, stressing that, 
point on purity is because of what we read in Ruth chapter one, verse one. And it reminds us of where we've come from. In the days when the judges ruled. For those of you who've read the previous book, who maybe joined us for um, the Bible overview of Judges, you'll remember how dark and sinister so much of the book of Judges felt. You'll remember I said there was the sin cycle. Do you remember I put a, a picture up on the board of the sin cycle and this cycle just on repeat throughout the main body of Judges time and time again, cycle, cycle, cycle. Uh, Israel sin, God judges them. Israel cry out to God. God sends a judge to deliver them. Israel serve God. And then the cycle starts all over and over again. And it gets progressively worse through the book. So we end it and, you know, we want to vomit. It's so disgusting what we're reading about. Three times we read in Judges, in those days Israel had no king. And as I was saying, sort of a joke, but with a little bit of seriousness uh, when preaching on that book, I said it's the, it's the type of book not to read before bed. It won't give you a good night's sleep. In stark contrast to the content of Judges, is this book, Ruth. And yet it's the same historical context. I just wanted to make that point. It's the same historical context. It's a book about loyalty and purity of which we saw none or very little in Judges. There doesn't seem to be an immoral character in Ruth of which there are many in Judges. And most importantly, just as Judges left the reader hoping for a future king, Ruth paves the way for the greatest Old Testament king, King David. And then through his royal line, the greatest everlasting king, our king, King Jesus. So it's an epic four chapters. So I'm going to spend most of the time this evening on the overview, focusing on chapter three. But first, if you'll just allow me, I'm going to set the scene a little bit. There was a bad famine in the land of Israel. An Israelite woman named Naomi and her family move to Moab in search of food. Sadly there, her husband Elimelech dies. Her two sons marry two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And then sadly, 10 years after her husband's death, her two sons die, leaving Naomi very bitter. In fact, in chapter one, verse 20, she's so bitter, she says this, quote, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara which means a bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but it breaks my heart watching what some people go through in this life. A, a, a lot of life isn't fair, may well be in, in here, We've never known a hard time, but we've got family members. And if an anvil were to fall out of the sky, like in a cartoon, it would land on their head. It may well be that you're sitting in here and you felt like Naomi or you feel like Naomi. Life doesn't feel fair. Some people feel like magnets for misfortune. And that's Naomi. And, and also theologically, because she believes that God is sovereign, she is therefore certain that he's the one to blame. And friends, I want to be careful what I say here, but 
in one sense, she's right. God is sovereign, completely. And he providentially knows each and every single step we'll take through life ahead of time. Each of us sitting here today, he knows what we're going to think in the next five minutes, whether you're going to drift off from the sermon. <laughs> but he knows what thoughts are going to be running through your head tonight as you go to sleep. He knows what you're going to be up to tomorrow, even though you don't yet. And it's important that we grasp this wrestle Naomi has with God's sovereignty, because as I've said, one of the main themes in this book is loyalty. Not mere human loyalty, but God's loyalty also. Although the narrator doesn't dwell on God too much, all of the main characters do, and it's, it's almost impossible not to recognize God working through each and every one of their decisions. A few questions. What if Naomi hadn't gone to Moab? What if Ruth hadn't stayed with Naomi? What if Boaz hadn't liked Ruth? I take it as a huge encouragement that God's sovereign purposes are worked out through the mundane, everyday decisions we make. It's true of you, it's true of me. And as Naomi wrestles with God's sovereignty, she comes to see that God had not forgotten about her. He was walking with her, loyal to her like Ruth. And through this book, these amazing four chapters, despite the real pain that she feels, which is so similar to some of the pain we feel, she turns from being bitter to praising God. Literally with a new grandson in her arms, the grandfather of King David. With Naomi, we could say, with reference to those questions I asked, that, that God weaves the mundane, everyday events somehow into his redemptive plan for the world. Now, none of us can do that. Only God can, because he's awesome. And he is the maker of space and time. Anyway, let us now consider the theme of loyalty. And as mentioned, we so evidently see this in Ruth and Boaz. So back to the story. After hearing that it was safe to return to Israel, Naomi decided to head back there to be with her wider family now that her two sons had died. I guess it's not an odd decision. If that had happened to us, we'd probably be thinking the same way. She tells her two daughters-in-law to go their own ways because she can't provide more sons for them and she'll only make them bitter too. Very aware, isn't she, of her, of her infectious bitterness. Orpah, the eldest, well, she doesn't need much convincing. <laughs> She's off. And in so doing, her name disappears from Scripture. And you might argue from history. Ruth, on the other hand, she sticks with Naomi. And in so doing, becomes numbered among the ancestors of the Messiah. Her name being one of only two books in the Old Testament where a female name is the book's title. Listen to this loyalty. Listen to what she says to Naomi. Uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I quote, these are amazing words. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. 
Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Now, friends, I've read those words a hundred times, but even so, every time I read them, I find them incredibly humbling. I wonder if you've ever had anybody stick by you when you've been at your lowest. And trust me, at those times, we're not the nicest people to be around. Have you? If you have, friend, you are blessed. Because loyalty, it's rare these days. It's rare in a broken world. I think of our social media. You know, nowhere is this lack of loyalty um, more clearly shown than on, on the likes of Facebook. You know when you set up an event on Facebook and then you invite people to that event and you can either say, yes, going, no, not going, or then there's this button, maybe. <laughs> and maybe is such a rubbish response because it's basically saying, I'll see what happens. And if nothing more exciting comes up, then yeah, you know, I'll come along to your party. That's not loyalty. That's not the loyalty we're seeing in Ruth. We can learn a lot from her here. It's clear to see that she had also learned a lot from Naomi and her deceased husband about this God of Israel they, they love and journey with despite struggling with. She calls him Lord. And that word Lord, it pops up in capital letters and I've already explained in this series that when we find the Lord in capital letters in the Bible, it's speaking of his covenantal, his personal revealed name. And everything in the story suggests that Ruth, this Moabite woman, has become personal with the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And it's huge because, as I mentioned, she's a Moabite woman. And if you know your Bible history, Moabites had abandoned the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham. The history, the Moabites, just to give you a brief history, they descended from Lot's oldest daughter. And that story wasn't pretty. Do you remember uh, Lot's wife? What, what happened to her? She became a pillar of salt, didn't she? Because she didn't trust God's word. And uh, Lot's daughters, well... <laughs> They plied their own dad with alcohol, and then when he was utterly drunk, they slept with him, um, and by slept, I mean, um, you know what I mean, just so that they could have babies. Not a good start for the Moabites. And yet, here's Ruth, this picture of loyalty, a picture of purity so different from what her story would suggest. What a contrast. As an aside, um, and I think this is well worth speaking into some of the, the areas of Peckham where kids have grown up feeling that they haven't had a chance in life. We are not our background. We don't have to let a rough start in life define who we are. With this God that we serve, this God who can literally break the power of death over us. All of us, no matter where we've come from, can know new beginnings in him. When we come to him in dependence, we are literally made new. It's wonderful news. 
Well, anyway, let me come now to her purity, um, because this is also quite cool. We find her and Naomi back in Bethlehem. And once there, Ruth is out to work, collecting any leftover grain she can, walking behind the servant girls in a chap called Boaz's field. Now, Boaz was related to Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband, uh, and that becomes very key later on. Anyway, uh, Boaz, he comes back to his field and he sees that Ruth is gleaning the leftovers and inquires to his foreman, uh, who is this? I want to know more about her. To cut the story short, he greatly respects Ruth and he allows her to keep on gleaning his field. In fact, he makes it very easy for her to do so, so much so that at the end of chapter two, bitter old Naomi, remember her, she actually seems quite excited, quite thankful. Um, on a side note, Boaz, by the way, in, in making it easy for Ruth, a Moabitess, to glean the field, he's actually upholding the Torah, which enabled the foreigner um, to, to take some of the, the, the crops from the edge of the field. Anyway, that fills us in with everything we need to know to fully appreciate what happens in chapter 3. So, uh, verses 1 and 2, chapter 3, I quote again. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. And we think, hey, up, hold on. Easy, Naomi, let Ruth catch a breath. She's only just got her, and all of a sudden, you're being a matchmaking mother. Uh, from a bloke's perspective, interfering mums, they can be an absolute nightmare. However, Naomi is right in one thing. Boaz is a great prospect. We might not get too many Hollywood romantic dramas about arranged marriages uh, these days. They were much more common uh, within this Israelite context. Arranged within the family, not so close to a brother or sister, someone directly related like that, but marriage was to be ideally within the wider family. So relatives, or in some translations, kinsmen, were vital. Boaz was a relative, and as a relative, he could step in to provide an heir with Ruth so that the family line could carry on. Right, so now is where the story gets really interesting, okay? Have a look at what Naomi tells Ruth to do. It's there in verses three and four, because I think it could have been seriously taken in the wrong way. So verses three and four, this is Naomi's advice to Ruth, remember, this interfering mother. <laughs> Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. <laughs> she, she knows about men, doesn't she? Finish their meal. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. In other words, she's saying to Ruth, it sounds like, Ruth, dress to impress. And when you are looking drop-dead gorgeous, stunning, and it's nighttime and there's no one else around, go and lay down next to Boaz and see what happens, wink, wink. What on earth is Naomi playing at? We ask ourselves. Surely this is flirting with temptation. Surely 
Boaz, this old man, is going to see Ruth. He's going to bulk. He's going to kind of rub his eyes, uh, smell her scent. And well, he's a man and so on and so on. But no, none of this happens. None of it. And I think Naomi knew it wouldn't because she knew the characters of Ruth and Boaz. They were both people of integrity. It's easy to see in chapter 2 that Boaz is a seriously godly man. It was once said of a Christian school teacher I knew, his life could bear inspection at every point. And that's certainly true of Ruth and Boaz here. They both act with complete integrity. And friends, Ruth does as Naomi tells her. She goes down to the threshing floor. Boaz is probably there late at night to protect some of his grain from robbers. And without waking him up, she uncovers his feet and lays down near them, showing her humility towards him. Could have been quite a smelly night for her. (laughs) Something wakes Boaz up in the middle of the night. We're not told what it was. It perhaps could have been Ruth snoring. We don't know. It's a possibility. (laughs) Anyway, he wakes up. Who are you? He says. Here's the interesting bit. Here's the climax of the film so far. Verse 9. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. And it's that phrase, which I find particularly interesting, spread the corner of the garment. Friends, that has only spoken of once elsewhere in the Bible. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. And there it speaks of marriage. Only it speaks of God Embracing Israel in the covenant bond of marriage and protecting her, Israel, with great faithfulness. And that is what Ruth is asking for. Uh, She is inadvertently popping the question. Uh, Today, we're like, oh, men should do that. But no, Ruth has jumped the gun and she is popping the question here. Boaz is a relative who could fulfill the guardian redeemer role, one who was obliged to help a relative who found themselves in some sort of difficulty. Now, if this were a film, I think it's at this point the violin would be brought out, you know. Uh, Boaz looks into Ruth's eyes, maybe with a little tear for effect. Uh, Listen to what he says, verse 10. He's a bit older than Ruth as well, remember. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. In other words, she could have gone for Mr. Cool. I don't look silly when I dance handsome. (laughs) But instead, she's gone for Mr. Arthritic. Can I have a hot water bottle at nighttime graybeard? (laughs) And Boaz knows that Ruth is of noble character. And so he, he probably can't believe his luck. And he promises there and then that he will do whatever he can to marry her. Apparently there is a kinsman redeemer more closely related than him, but if this other chap doesn't want to marry her, then he will most definitely. He gives her his word, and that word is sure, because as we know, he's a man of integrity. 
We see that in how he cares for her reputation. Verse 14, I love these words. I mean, men today could have learned from Boaz. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. You know, Boaz would hate to give anyone the chance to start spreading rumors. for They'd all be lies. Well, friends, they get married and it's all happily ever after, which is nice. It's nice to have films that are happily ever after every so often, isn't it? Uh, literally, they have a son, Obed, and we read of his name and of Boaz's and Ruth's in the genealogy of Jesus, the Savior of the world, and Matthew's gospel. How could there be a happier ending? So, in conclusion, just as we see loyalty from God throughout the mundane day-to-day decisions his people make, we see loyalty from Ruth to Naomi, and we see loyalty from Boaz to Ruth. This is a pure book standing in stark contrast from the book of Judges. I hope that you appreciate, as I just tried to tease out, there is so much scope for sexual immorality in Ruth. It could have got twisted at so many different points, and yet it remained completely innocent simply because of integrity and loyalty. And I read this and I just think, oh, that we pursued such character traits more in our own lives today. If I did, you know, I speak on myself, I preach this message to myself. Greg, learn loyalty from these guys. Friends, it's not actually that complicated. And I say this um, with sympathy because I have often made it more complicated. If we live in accord with God's plan for our lives, then we're not to be surprised when that leads to blessing. And I'm, I'm, I'm careful of making it sound like an equation, live like this and receive that. Many of you will have heard of the, the prosperity gospel. That's not what I'm saying. What I mean is simply that the more we live how our maker wants us to live, the less we're going to end up hurting ourselves, the less we're going to end up hurting others. And from those two things, the less we're going to be overwhelmed by guilt, becoming stuck in a rut. Two very brief applications as I really do close. Uh, The first is to do with God's loyalty towards us. I think as we read this, we're supposed to see the protection that Boaz offers Ruth as a little picture of the protection Jesus can offer us. Just as Ruth sought a redeemer where he could be found, well, so too must we. Friends, that's the call of the Bible. And the great thing is that God has made it very clear where the redeemer can be found in no other name than the name of Jesus. And as you know, he calls himself the bridegroom. We've been seeing that in Mark's gospel. And when he does we're supposed to be reminded of God marrying himself to unfaithful Israel. Uh, Just as Ruth was asking to be included in the covenant bond of marriage with Boaz, well, so too, Christians, we're brought into a covenant with Jesus, a marriage with him. Remember, he says when he dies on the cross, this is my, when he shares the meal just before he dies on the cross, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He's the one who's literally bled to death in order to cover us with his garment. 
And you only need to think of the prodigal son when you think of being covered in the father's robe. Again, I preach to myself, we've all been unfaithful. We all come from a distance. And yet God runs towards us. And he offers us forgiveness. And he covers us with his garment. That's the beauty of repentance, friends. The second application is to do with our loyalty to one another. And again, as I've said, we've all made mistakes in this area. We've all been rubbish friends at times. I know I certainly have. And also in marriage. I know we've got a mixture of married folk and single folk in here, but sometimes just mentioning the M word can fill those who are married with shame because marriage requires utter loyalty and, and so often we haven't been loyal to those we love the most. And so I would ask the whole of the church, singles and married alike, to be praying at All Saints Peckham for strong marriages, to be praying for faithfulness within that oath of marriage. And we all play a role in that. Every relationship is difficult. We can be praying for one another, whether single or married, to be loyal friends who go the second mile for those in need, for those dear to us. So as I close, sisters, be women like Ruth. Boaz calls her noble, which is that same description in Proverbs 31. Men, let's be men like Boaz. So I close with a prayer and as I pray, if you guys want to come back up. Father, thank you for this thrilling read. There is so much more that could be said. Pray that you would give us all the time, the energy to perhaps think back to this book, either tonight, this week, sometime, uh, to maybe think back to our friendships our marriages and help us by your spirit to maybe just put a finger on the areas where we know that we could be more like Ruth and Boaz, be more like you. And we know you're a father who loves us. You're a father who, who prunes us. So we pray for your pruning, that we might be more fruitful, that you might be used to bless others. We know that's your heart. And above all, we thank you so much for how you have been faithful to us, even when we've been unfaithful. We thank you. Amen.